nothing uh, was ever done, um, you know, for us. Um, everything uh, that came to us, of course, we had to work for it. Um, we had to work much harder than anybody else. Uh, we had to work much longer. Um, I can just remember at my great-grandma's house, um, it was like the meeting place on the plantation. So when the workers gathered, they would gather at my great-grandma's house in the morning. Uh, and then in the evenings when they would come home, uh, they would do the same thing. And say, for example, if it were a time to vote, uh, then they made sure that the, the people got to work uh, before day. And then they made sure uh, they left home at dark, basically, which meant that the polls were already closed. So, so again, um, white people, it seems they had all the right cards and, and we did not. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, you were the first person that I really talked to in, in person that used the language of plantation. Plantation was always a kind of historical event uh, for me. I didn't think of it as uh, a kind of existing reality. But at the same time, you know, I know that, uh, that you kind of grew up in that, in that environment. And um, let me just point out also, you know, in the book, I try to argue that um, the consciousness of suffering escapes a lot of people, including black people. So, you know, my, I, I suggest or I argue or I post, postulate that um, black people are, to some extent, unconscious of our suffering and white people could care less about it. But the other thing is, since the George Floyd incident, I mean, do you think that thesis still holds? I mean, I know, I mean, there have been other, you know, other kinds of uh, protests. Uh, people protested for quite a while during the death of Michael Brown and um, Eric Garner and other kinds of things. But the, the, um, the George Floyd uh, murder, um, I think, you know, maybe at least temporarily created a new sense of consciousness among uh, both blacks and whites. But the question is, I wanted to ask you your thoughts about that and whether you think that's really just a temporary passing phenomenon. I'm hoping that it's um, not temporary because one of the things I think uh, for black people has been that as, as a rule, we've had a survival uh, mentality. And so basically, we do what we need to do to survive. And some of us have hopes that, you know, we can come out of whatever it is that we are in. And I think that is that is sort of where we are uh, now with what has happened um, with this Black Lives Matter uh, situation. Um, there, there seems to be a group that's saying, no, we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. And so if we're, gonna, if we're gonna thrive, we have to dismantle some things. And even now, people are on both sides of the track. You know, why can't we just uh, go as things are uh, versus upsetting everything? And we're not gonna ever get better unless we upset the status quo. I mean, if things are gonna change, something has to be overturned. And so I think right now, um, we are on the precipice of what could be that real change. 
but we just have to try to keep the momentum going. From a practical perspective, how do you think that happens, or how do we do that? From a what kind of perspective? Practical, practical. How do we? From a practical perspective. Yeah, how do we? How do we do that? Um. Well, we just, we have to keep grinding. Um, if if it's if the issue right now is um, police brutality cannot continue to happen. Um, a whole lot of the systemic things that have happened in the past cannot continue to happen. So if we, I think if we stay at the forefront as, as we have been, um, every, everything that we film, we publicize, uh, we try to bring attention to it. Um, we try to do things in my, in my estimation as decently and in order as possible, because if we don't, um, the, 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 the white people who will, participate in helping you know that gives them a reason not to so that for that reason i think we try to do um things decently in order but i I do believe um standing up for what's right and what we believe and if that means we risk our lives we risk our uh, resources then i think that's what we do now because the, the the journey that's uh, behind or what the, uh, or that our foreparents um, uh, participated in, you know, they went through similar things in terms of losing lives, losing resources to get us to where we are today. And it's like now, I don't know if uh, Generation Z or, or what, what it's going to be, somebody has to put his or her life on the line. Yeah. And I think the more we do that collectively, um, the better we're going to be. And again, I don't mind others helping us, but I think black people have to be at the forefront of turning the tide. They, you know, they didn't know this kind of thing, and I don't know what to believe about that because black suffering has been, you know, endemic to black life from the very beginning, from, from the 1619 uh, to today. As a matter of fact, even even before we landed on these shores, because, you know, the Middle Passage was uh, was a, a tough struggle and a tough journey, filled with Absolutely. all kinds of filled with all kinds of suffering, and a lot of people just didn't make it. So, I mean, you know, that was an economic uh, project that that uh, white capitalists had, bringing slaves from the shores of Africa to the shores of Virginia and South Carolina and other places, Mississippi and Georgia. So, um, so protest has been one of our key elements. I say this because, you know, I mean, black people are disproportionately poor, black people are disproportionately sick, black people are, are disproportionately um, affected by almost everything. And I was really impressed by the fact that, you know, this, this entire summer, uh, people have been protesting um, the injustices and the suffering that black people have had to endure. And they've sustained it to a large degree. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. yeah and, and, and suffering um, is difficult because it, it seems so natural to us. It's what we know. It's what we are baptized in. It's what we grow up in. And mm-hmm. so that I think that's why people... Um, don't really articulate uh, 
that this is a great problem for us or a great problem to us. One, because you you see no hope. Um, you, you there's 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 no signal that things are going to change, and so why stir things up? You know, I'm sort of comfortable uh, where I am. Yes, I'm suffering, but I'm comfortable where I am. So I, I just want to be okay where I am. I don't I don't want any. Um, new uncertainties. I don't want any new pain. I, I don't want any new trouble. I don't want anything new. I, I prefer um, to a large degree to stay where I am. Um, and that's that's the scary part, uh, that it does not appear to be much to motivate people to to change. And, and again, I guess because we can see it, uh, but we don't have the right words for it. For example, when I was um let's say seven eight nine ten <laughs> through those years i would travel from um from my house which was across town from my great grandma's house and when i arrived when i got across the bridge to the to, to where the plantations would begin i knew i was in a different world and in that world i carried on a particular way and then when I crossed the bridge to go back home and I played with the children on my street, it was a different world. I lived in two, two worlds. In, in, in one way, I was, I was queen on the plantation because I came from across town. But on my street, I, pro- I probably was one of the poorest persons on that street. So my parents struggled to be on the street that we were on. And so I was able to see the dichotomy, and I was able to, uh, even as a kid, to think about what it meant and how I was going to be in one place versus the other place. But Mm. in some sense, I suffered in both places. Yeah. Because I should have been able to be who I was, period. But I had to be a particular person or a certain person. I had to try to navigate that. And I think that's the same way um, black people have had to operate with with suffering. Yeah, you say you were six, seven, or eight. I mean, that's a real burden for a child. I, I was seven, eight, nine, and ten because we moved from the plantation, I think, when I was six. Oh, okay. And so I started to um, realize that I was living in two different worlds. So you had a new consciousness, so to speak. I, mean, I did. Just and, and it's nothing that I chose for myself. It's just It just happened that I lived those first six years on the plantation. Um, moved into a, a suburban area, I guess, and but we went to my grandma's house. The other thing I wanted to um, to ask you, and this will kind of be the my last point, and that is that um, I've been thinking more and more about the role that fear plays in Black life, um, and how afraid I am you know, for black people and for family members and that kind of thing. And so you're kind of like, I mean, you know, the the slave master's um, job was to make black folks stand in fear. And I think to some degree, you know, that is, is continued today because I, I'm, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this recently, how fearful I am of how um, easily um, white people, the police, the government, and so forth, 
can just destroy the black body, the black, black person. And, and, and I mean, and you never know about it. You, it's just, you could just walk out your door. And, or like in the case of Breonna Taylor, you don't even have to go outside. Um, well, you know, so. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And that, again, that's why the systemic evils have to be corrected. I, I was watching, uh, uh, this white guy make, uh, well, basically pull a, a black, black guy over. He was a highway patrolman and he had been, um, asked to pull this particular black guy over because they were suspecting that, uh, he was, uh, doing drug trafficking. So they pulled, they, so this guy gets on the interstate behind the black guy, pulls him over, uh, he, he pulled him over saying that he was speeding. So the black guy said, well, you know, I, didn't, I don't think I was speeding, but he didn't argue. He just wanted to go ahead and get his ticket and get out. So White Harvey Truman said, uh, well, do you mind if I search your car? And the black guy was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you really have no grounds to search my car. Now, again, the white guy has information that the black guy doesn't know that he has. But anyway, the black guy said, yes, I'll let you... Uh, uh, search my car, and the black ass, the white guy said, "We'll search your car, and then you'll be on your way." All right. So he is searching the man's car for about thirty minutes. He finds nothing. Then he calls for the dogs. The dogs come. They spend thirty minutes. I'd never seen anything like it. They went through and through his car. Uh, they didn't find anything. In about seven minutes. They had the guy on the ground. He was screaming, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Um, make a long story short, he ended up having um, several ribs broken, a collapsed lung. Um, and in the end, he had he ended up having some, some kind of controlled substance on him, but it was not even enough to go to jail. And so when it went to court, the judge ended up throwing it out because that search that they did was just unimaginable. And I'm saying this guy was just riding down the road, minding his own business, and things just go south because white people uh, thought he was doing something that he wasn't even doing. And and because it was in their, in their mind that he was, they just, they went beyond the call of duty to make him guilty. And he ended up not being guilty. Yeah. And and it's just it's 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 kind of that's I think that's the scary part, and that's why I think in our minds, um, to use the language of the day, that's why people want to stay in their lanes, you know. And that parallel to my great grandmother, who was not going to, she was not going to kick up anything, whatever she thought she needed to do um, to keep us safe and to help us to survive. That's all she put forward. Yeah, but just think how much how much that took, how much energy, and how 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 difficult that was. Because I'm sure, you know, like so many of us, she probably there were things that she wanted to say and do, and and not, not But but she also realized the impending risk of her doing anything, stepping out of her lane and stepping out of bounds, and and and, and how that would jeopardize yeah. your life. Yeah, and just let me give you this example. This is a uh, um, my grandmother was 
a by the book kind of person. She was, you know, this is a rule. This is how we operate. And unfortunately, she ended up having rules for us that she could not uh, um, enforce with white people. So for us, it was important. She used the language that you put a handle on her name. We were going to either call her, people going to call her Miss Lottie, or we were going to call her Mama. We were going to call, she was going to have some title. But the neighbor's children behind my grandmother, my age, called her by her first name. And I was like, no way. If they don't call you by your first name, I mean, by your your last name, I'm not going to call them with a mister. I'm not going to do that either. And she said, oh, yeah, you are. And I said, no, I'm not, Mom. I'm not going to do that. And she said, yes, you are. And that was the rule for us. And so for me, it's like, um, what what does that do to yourself if you have to shrink before white people? And in front of black people, you stand up, you you hold to whatever the rules are. And then when you get around white people, you don't, you have a different set of rules. Yeah. And I imagine it had to be tough for her because, again, she was a by the book kind of person. Yeah. So her core, she was, she was, she was uh, toying with her core beliefs to just exist. And I, to me, that'll make you schizophrenic. Yeah, it wasn't for just her existence, though. It was for yours. And, oh yeah, she and, was trying and, to save us and yeah. and show us how to navigate and show us how to uh, how to get along. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, and I think that that is, that's the story of black life in a very real sense. I mean, and I'm saying even, even today, you know, I have certain fears, even today, even though, you know, we have uh, followed the rules, uh, lived by the book and all of that, but people don't mm-hmm. even care about that. And exactly. these, these white folk could care less about that. And so every day that you wake up and step outside, you know, um, there is there is a kind of uh, risk that you take, and therefore, you know, I just have a certain fear, and I think anybody who has uh, children or has a family or whatever, uh, you know, uh, possesses that. Yeah. Um, just a matter of surviving. In a